Welcome to PR360, a weekly interview podcast dedicated to talking about the important topics within the public relations technology industry, hosted by Brett Deister and in partnership with Global Results Communication. Find out more information at globalresultspr.com. Welcome to a new episode of PR360, and I'm your host, Brett Deister, and this is a podcast where we interview the best experts in the tech and PR industry. And with me, I have Michael Becker, and he is a data guru, as I call it. He's done a ton of different things in the data scene, and he also founded his own company, Identity Praxis. He is very driven. He loves to work in tech, and he loves to help people understand what's going on with this as well. Welcome to the show, Michael. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. All right. First question is going to be really, really hard. Are you a coffee or tea drinker? I like them both, actually. Mm. What is your favorite? What do you lean towards? I've often deferred to coffee lately more decaf because I've been finding myself getting overly caffeinated and tea late at night. And so data science is kind of an interesting setting right now. A lot of marketers and PR professionals are trying to get a handle on it. So what is, or can you tell us a little bit about data science and collecting data? Yeah, I, I mean, simply put, data science is this multidisciplinary field where you use a variety of processes, methods, algorithms, systems to basically create insight and knowledge from a variety of data sets, whether or not those data sets are all in one place, structured from a variety of different data sources whether or not that data is structured in a logical flow or just randomly sitting out there and needs to be analyzed in a way to be able to pull insights from it. One of the key things that we need to understand about current modern data science, though, is you have multiple flows coming from a variety of different sources. And the key strategy there, the ultimate goal is to generate insight and actionable knowledge from that. So how do PR pros and marketers make those actionable insights? How do they collect all the data and use it to the best of the abilities? Well, it's like any problem. And it starts with like what problem you're trying to solve. Think about it. Like, you know, it's like drinking an ocean. If you say, I'm going to go drink the ocean, that's pretty hard to do. But if you actually want to think about, I'm going to drink part of the ocean or engage in part of it, it gets easier and easier. So it really starts with what problem are you trying to solve or what opportunity you're trying to generate or what question are you trying to answer? And then you can work backwards from that and start looking for data that will help you answer that question, solve that problem, et cetera. There is an alternative route, and that is just jumping right in and exploring the data to see what bubbles up to the top and more of what I'll call an exploratory methodology. And the challenge with that, though, is you can end up finding yourself into a lot of dead ends, into a lot of areas and literally drown in the data because you end up getting so much and or so little you don't really know what to do with it. So there's really two basic approaches. Go look to answer or address a specific issue or item or sit there and just immerse yourself within data and explore and see what, what comes up with it. Is there any tips and tricks to actually do that besides where to start from? But is there anything else beyond that point of, okay, I've got what I want to do. Now, how do I get to my end goal? Again, it really depends on the problem you're trying to solve then the methods you're going to choose to solve that problem and ultimately who you're serving and why. So are you looking to build a product? Are you looking to figure out how to address a PR crisis in the market? Are you looking to how to 
create positive insight and inspiration around a new method? Are you looking to identify a, a particular audience within a broad group of people that may be sensitive and aware and interested in your product? Again, it really depends on what you're looking to accomplish. So it, all of the necessary work, and I remember a famous quote from Einstein, and I won't get it exactly correct, but he said, if you give me an hour to answer your question or provide a solution, I'm going to spend the first 50 minutes or so making sure I've got the right question. And then I'll spend the last 10 minutes actually giving you an answer. So setting up the challenge or setting up what you're trying to address, probably the most important exercise that you could go through. Fair enough. You need to specifically say the problem. So for example, was if like a PR person was trying to create great content, could the data help them steer them in the right direction of great content? Yeah, or? of course. Yeah. So, yeah, and so in that regard, I mean, so you want to take a step back and I'm glad you know, one of the things that you want to be thinking about in this exercise is what do you in fact mean by data? Everything can be abstracted and defined. So in the context of content and what kind of content do I want to create? There's a lot of things that you want to start with. First and foremost is the topic of the content that I want to create. So I can start doing keyword searches and thinking and identifying all of the keywords that individuals are using within the domain of the content that I want to be writing about. Another type of data that you might be wanting to consider within that concept of content is to consider, well, exactly what format do I use? So because the format of the content is in fact data, what format do people most react to? And was it audio? Is it written? Is it video? Is it some hybrid mechanism? And then even within that, for example, in the written form, and when we look at content, see that there's a lot of data that helps us understand in fact, what content gets the most clicks, gets the most referrals, gets the most backtracks associated with that. And so there's been research that suggested that length of the title, the length of the overall article, the type of the headlines being used, the depth of the headlines within the article, and especially for long-form content, do you actually have lists or not? For example, are you bulleting out and summarizing the content within the system? Just looking at a few of those types of parameters will dictate the success of your content. Yes. Feels like content is always an art and a science to it. And that's where the data or the right data comes in. So where do you think like the next evolution of data science will be? Will it be with more AI and artificial intelligence? What do you think is going to happen in the next five years or so? Yes. When we're looking at that, some of the things that we want to be considering is that it's not just about artificial intelligence as it is per se. I mean, we'll need to be continuing a lot more artificial intelligence work getting smarter with our tree flows, getting smarter with, for example, chats and types of interactions with clients on multiple different channels. But the real next evolution is going to be what many refer to as artificial general intelligence. This is when we go beyond just the computer being able to think faster than us and processing a lot more data than us, being able to actually impart emotion, intellectually think, and to act as if they're a human. So they have more general intelligence just in the processing of, uh, of doing things better. And then another next step to that is that will be an underpinning. A lot of that is, is quantum computing. So a lot of uh, technology today or computing today is based on, based on that binary concept of zero or one. But what we're now learning is that the next generation computers, and namely quantum computers, will be able to use not zero ones, but really any infinite state that that atom may be in that is being used as the quantum computing. So that will enable you to do a lot more parallel processing and essentially look at multiple states and process billions of transactions at that speed, so much more so than an average computing system can handle. 
So you're going to see some really fundamental changes to come down the road as we think about how artificial intelligence is evolving, specifically how computer processing and storage is evolving that will be able to allow us to take access to a lot more of this data. And on that note, we need to really take a step back and think about just how much data is being processed around the world. I saw a study from IDC that suggested the other day that by 2025, we'll be processing about 163 zettabytes of data a year. And that's up from like 16 last year. So just absolute orders of magnitude of the amount of data that's being produced across all of our systems and processes. With the vast majority of that data being generated by mobile devices or IoT-related devices, and so much of that being hypercritical to our daily lives. So data is the ability to process data and the ability to manage data is becoming an absolute mission-critical function that is needed for every business today. Sounds like me, because I'm a gamer myself and a content creator, and so... I use a ton of data, but moving on to more towards tools, like what tools do you think PR pros and marketers need to actually decipher the data? Should they just be using Google Analytics or are there better ones out there that they can actually understand a lot better than looking at Google Analytics? Well, again, it goes back to what what challenge and problem you're looking to be to addressing. Obviously, at a high level, Google Analytics is great. You have other tools like Countly that are out there. You have a whole rush of different types of keyword managing tools, such as SEMrush and similar ones like that. You have a number of tools that are looking at the best practices of how do we actually analyze the content and the types of content that people are consuming for readability and what length of content in particular environments that are useful. So those are to be considering as well. So again, it comes down to the challenge and the process that you're looking to solve. Other tools that you should be looking at, especially in today's day and age, are focus groups and basic research. Too, what you want to be looking at in terms of tools, like let's say the data you're trying to be looking at in terms of improving your product. So as much as we want to talk about better PR, better communications, better content production, but the usability of one's product and services is absolutely critical. So... I would highly encourage that PR agencies work with their customers and marketers work with their customers' QA teams and usability teams, because from that, you're going to assess a lot of insight around how people are adopting and interacting with a particular product or service or including content. So there's tools like Userlytics or Usability Hub or crowdsourcing QA solutions like Applause or Test.io that are incredibly useful for being able to generate primary data and insight that way. Nice. And so what companies do you think are using data best to bring awareness to their own company through PR efforts with the data? It's hard to say. There's the GAFA companies, of course. So I think uh, Facebook, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, they're all doing exceptional jobs, not just using data for uh, their own right, but also using it as a means to helping their customers and the people on their platforms are critical. So if you just look at the, like the television commercials today, that Amazon does for their cloud service. Well, I love what they're doing, it's just showing how many companies are seeing success and generating success in service of their customers by leveraging Amazon cloud services. So I think that kind of insight and data is particularly critical and important. You're also seeing a number of luxury brands that are using data to really help and facilitate the ability to gain insight about their customers and then turn around and service them. Yes, I've seen a lot of those Amazon commercials. They're actually pretty good. 
But moving on to the ethical side of data collecting, because a lot of the public has been aware that Facebook, Google, and all of them collect a whole bunch of data. So how can marketers and PR people at least be ethical or at least calm the fears down of the public going, why are you collecting so much data on me? Well, again, let's take a step back. What kind of data are you collecting? And are you collecting data about my devices? Are you collecting data about my behaviors? Are you collecting data about my attributes, about the way your product works and the way I interact with that product? I mean, there's a whole host of different types of data. Each one of those different types of data has a different view and a different cut on it. I think one of the key kind of summary elements to be thinking about how you go about doing that is first and foremost, start with your intentions. Like any good activity or effort from an ethical perspective really starts with truly look in your heart, truly look in your business and understand what are your intentions? Are your intentions pure? Are you using data to be able to be of service and of value to your customer? Or are you using data for some other purpose that you don't necessarily want to talk about? Like, like I'm going to take your data and I'm going to sell it to a bunch of other companies so I can make a lot of money, irrespective of whether or not that ultimately hurts you or not as an individual. Or even then, I could be so unaware of my intentions that I don't even realize there could be harm taking some actions with an individual or group of individuals' data. And just out of ignorance or being unaware of a situation to realize that activity could, in fact, generate harm. So I think the first and foremost thing is to truly, truly understand your intentions of what you're trying to accomplish with data. Then from that, you start thinking about transparency, telling people what you're doing. You think about using open standards to make sure that, and when I talk about that, not just in terms of portability, but in security, to make sure that your data is secure, that the standards for data flow are set and met, and that you have all of the appropriate technical checkbox and processing checkboxes in place to ensure that you're safeguarding the data as effective steward. And then finally, on that last point in effective stewardship, hold yourself accountable. So to the extent that everything's great, be proud that everything's great and things are going well. But to the extent that you do find that some data has been misused, done in a way that you weren't necessarily totally transparent about, hold yourself accountable to it and then communicate that transparently. Good advice. Also, do you think the general data protection regulation in the EU helps spearhead or guide PR and marketers to understand how the data is being used and understand that some things are not okay to the general public? Or do you think it was really a harsh regulation on PR people and marketers because of a few bad actors? No, I mean, if you look at the academic research, the topic of privacy and the topic of the flows and management of data is not a new dialogue. It's not a new discussion. You know, I've got some academic studies that go back all the way into the mid-1800s that talk about what's the role of insight and information and about an individual, what's appropriate use. And so we've been watching this dialogue of how do we use information or AKA data about people and the customers we serve for well over 130 years. It's just been with the advent of digital and digital services that it's really come to the forefront because of the fact that the speed of data and the ability to copy data and the material harms that can happen at scale and nearly instantaneously with individuals that really got in the forefront. GDPR was just not a overnight evolution. It's actually been evolving for 15 years or more to get to this point, to recognize the digital sovereignty of an individual, that individual should have rights over that data. And in fact, we have the California Consumer Privacy Protection Act that will be taking root on January 1st, 2020 in California, plus about nine other states in the United States that are also looking at 
similar GDPR-like regulations that will give people rights over their data and how they're supposed to interact and can interact with the company, as well as other obligations an organization must adhere to to ensure that they're acting as appropriate stewards and actors of the data that they're hosting and holding on those that they serve. We could tail off into this into smart speakers and how Amazon and Google are, as they claim in reports, taking a lot of personal or intimate conversations. And that privacy issue as well could be discussed. But do you think it's been done in an ethical way? Or do you think that Google and Amazon have a few more trials to overcome to get to that more ethical state of collecting voice? Yeah, I mean, I'm not here to judge, play an ethical role or be the ethicist that passing judgment on one organization or another. I think the better way of looking or answering that question is that to really realize that today's society, we all need to become polymaths. And what I mean by that is when you're evaluating the role of data in society and the way it plays itself out, we need to be analyzing the market from five unique lenses or views. One is the technical view. How does my smart speaker work? How does my phone work? How does my connected car work? My IoT device. I mean, by 2020, the average individual is going to have 10 connected devices associated with them. By 2022, the average household will have anywhere from 50 to 75 connected devices in it. So we're seeing a lot more connected devices in our lives. By 2025, it's estimated that the average individual will interact with either explicitly or implicitly with a connected device, aka they will be sharing and or leaking data um, every 18 seconds of every day. So roughly 4,500 times a day, at some point we will connect with a digital device in our lives and data will be shared. So one can look at it from that technical lens. How do we move the bits and bytes around? And there's obviously ethical views from the technical stewardship and data in that regard. But then we, we also need to start looking at it from the economic lens. What's feasible? What are the both negative risks of that data being misused or what are also, and more aptly put, the positive benefits from that data could be misused? So back in 2013, for instance, Cisco had wrote a study that suggested that the positive use of data in society will have a $19 trillion economic value or benefit, net economic benefit for the world's economy. So in that regard, one could be looking at it from an economic perspective. Obviously have the third pillar, which is your regulatory and legal perspective. And that really looks at what causes from a legal view material harm. And a gentleman by the name of Daniel Solov has I think 17 to 20 different legal perspectives of harm from data misuse. But you also want to then be looking at then how does one safeguard data and what are the roles of the privacy policy in terms of conditions and how do we make those privacy policies in terms of conditions actually readable and looking at the concepts of like informed consent, and especially in a world of AI, is informed consent even legally possible? Because when you're looking about big data and data science, can one really be informed when an artificial intelligence engine in the back end is pulling together a number of different data sets and the organization that's looking at that process doesn't even know what the correlative recommendation is going to be coming out of that data analytic process. So in that regard, you know, is informed consent even legal? Who knows? And then the next pillar would be typically called ethical. What do we believe to be moral cultural? But the challenge with that process is culture dependent, region dependent, country dependent. So what one deems to be ethical really has a number of different factors to it. And even in the United States, there was this book written a few years ago that suggested we have 11 different unique cultures within the United States. And so our view of, in fact, what is morally and ethically appropriate will be influenced by those different environmental and internal views. 
And then you take those core pillars of technology, economics, legal, what we'll call moral cultural, and overlay that with the intersection of all four, which is what I call political. And that's where we then start making the policies and the judgments to make the coordination between those four pillars work and to be able to guide society in a way that we actually want to all live in and thrive in. It's a really challenging question and it's a really challenging topic I think we all need to be thinking deeply about in the coming months and years to come. And do you think like the speed of data, how we're collecting it, will that matter when 5G becomes a little bit more mainstream? Because 5G is supposed to be even faster than 4G is right now with telecoms. Most certainly. So in that regard, so think about it. When we hit that 2025 mark, we're connecting with an IoT device every 18 seconds. If you're on a 5G network, that data is going to be transferred and disseminated nearly instantaneously. So the whole nature of 5G and the way, not just the speed of data, but the sure magnitude of the amount of data that's going to be created, it will absolutely become a critical topic that we need to be thinking about and working through. All right. And do you have any advice for marketers that need or would like to get more efficient at data collection or people that are just interested in actually getting into data science field? Do you have any advice for them? I would take a big step back and say, first and foremost, don't be scared about it. Data is just information. Data comes from a variety of sources. Data can be structured like in an Excel spreadsheet or data can be unstructured, just a bunch of words on a page that you have no idea what they mean. So it really starts with don't be overly frightened by it. Realize that it's a growing and emerging field, that it's something that you need to absolutely become aware of because Frankly, in today's society, I believe that your digital self has more economic value than your physical self. And at least that's the way the market is looking at you as an individual and then as an employee or as a customer. And so becoming more and more sensitive and aware of data is critically important. And then over time, start thinking about adopting tools to analyze data. So at a simplest level, get proficient at pivot tables in Excel. But most importantly, start thinking about and looking at tools like Tableau or other services that are out there to help you understand how to pull data into an environment, how to then challenge that data with questions to then be able to pull out insight. And again, I'm not necessarily a math guy myself, so I work with people that are better at that process, but it really starts with really understanding who do you serve, what kind of problems are you trying to solve, and what kind of questions are you looking to answer so that you can make the most efficient and informed decision you can to continue to move forward. Ah, yes. I'm not a math person either, so I always need those smarter people than me to understand the data, but do you have any final thoughts for our listeners about what you do or data in general? Yeah, I do. And I think I want to leave it on this. Again, we're going to be living with this topic of data and data science for basically, I think, the rest of our lives. A couple of years ago, the Harvard Business Review actually referred to the data scientist as the 21st century's most sexiest job, simply because it's going to become increasingly more and more important. And I would argue that every single job is going to become somehow interacting with touching and or influencing data. And as a marketer, if you're in the job of pressing that button, counting something, evaluating something, that job is gonna get outsourced to the algorithm. The AI and the artificial general intelligence system will increasingly take over those basic data scientist jobs. So as a marketer, you wanna be really focusing on understanding the creative side of it and understanding the intent and the problem to be solved. That's really where the core value is going to be had because the processing of that data will be overtaken by the machines and the systems. The next thing you want to be thinking about, though, as marketers, and as you think about us serving the connected individual, 
namely an individual that somehow has a life in the digital realm, either through a smartphone or internet element in their life. The very fundamental nature of how businesses evolve is going to change significantly in the years to come. And in fact, the analogy I use when I talk about this is there's a tsunami that's gone off or been recognized to have gone off on the shores of every economy worldwide. The water is about to hit the shores, inundate the landscape. And as the water recedes over the preceding years, the topology of the landscape will be forever changed. How we service people, how we interact with people will be forever changed because of things like GDPR. Because the individuals, for example, have rights and they have rights to their data and the ability to use their data. They have the ability to mitigate harm from their data. But most importantly, we see an emerging new economy evolving called the personal information economy, where individual consumers and businesses in their own right will actually be able to use the data about them to their own benefit and actually participate in the active economic exchange of their data. And so on that note, I want to kind of leave the, our listeners with one thought. When you think about data, and particularly about an individual consumer or individual connected person, you want to realize that data has essentially three primary constructs. One is what I'll call my attribute data. This is my basic demographic data, my name, my preferences, my thoughts and insights, my specific context around me. And this is what so many of us will talk about when we talk about data today. We'll refer to that type of information, my email address, for instance. That will all be part of that attribute data about me as an individual. The next class of data that we need to be aware of and consider is what we'll call behavioral data. And we do think about data in that behavioral context in some ways. So, for example, when we think about website behavior or content consumption behavior, and a lot of marketers are getting pretty good at that. But in addition to that, it's now increasingly becoming my physical behavior, which, for example, Google is exceptional about that through Google Maps and or Foursquare, for instance. They actually know where I'm physically going. So you're going to start seeing an emergent marketplace comes to data, what we call digital, that bridging of the physical and digital environments and data being able to serve both the digital me and the physical me in real time. So you're going to start seeing that. And then finally, the third type of data for I want us to all be thinking about is my capital data. And this is really interesting in a new concept that many have not really considered, especially when it comes to an individual's right and ownership over the data. So some level, GDPR and CCP are saying, look, individuals have a right to their attribute and labor data. And if they want to request a right to be forgotten, to be notified, to portability, et cetera, you as an organization need to adhere to that. This new concept of data is emerging, and that's my capital data. And what I mean by that is let's say I buy a connected car or I buy a connected phone or connected TV or any of the other connected devices in my life, aka I own that piece of hardware, I own that piece of capital. Well, that device is producing data and in the context of a connected car, it's been argued by the likes of John Ellis that the average connected car will produce roughly $40,000 worth of data in its eight-year lifespan. But today, the car owner doesn't get to see a dime of that. The car companies and the car industry are taking all of that value that's being produced by this piece of hardware, which I drove, maintained, an active producer of that value, of that data, but yet I get no residual income from that. So I see at some point down the road, individuals are going to wake up and new business models will emerge around giving me the owner of that hardware, of that capital that's in fact producing that data, which in fact is generating value society for the business at hand, to actually be given ownership to the individual. At that time, the individual can choose to either keep it for themselves or actively participate in the data produced by its capital 
but by their behaviors and their attributes as well. And let me give you a good example. Jaguar is actually doing some testing on this right now in the United Kingdom, where you have a connected car, it's driving down the road, that car detects a pothole, that car will signal up to the local municipality that it detected a pothole, and the municipality will actually buy that information from you, contribute cryptocurrency to your car's smart wallet, and then that cryptocurrency will then be able to use to pay for local tolls and parking, for example. And the reason why that's a value to the city is the more and more people that detect that pothole, the city then can start prioritizing the potholes that it needs to go around town and fix. And so there is a great example of people's capital, their car, of their labor driving around that is producing value for society that they should be rewarded for. And then again, that whole concept is what we call the personal information economy. So we're going to see a lot more evolving around individuals' active participation and not just the mitigation of harms that may occur from the misuses of their information, but also the taking advantage of the opportunistic upside that they can reach and value that they can achieve from actually participating in its exchange within society. All right. And you have a word of the day, fidgetal. <laughs> That's it. There you go. Now you all need to understand what fidgetal is. But anyways, thank you, Michael, for joining us on PR 360. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And I'm happy to come back anytime. All right. And as always, thank you for tuning in to PR 360. And I'm your host, Brett Dicer. If you want to know a little bit about me, just go to digitalcoffee.gg and you can learn everything about PC gaming there. But please subscribe to PR360 on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and more. Just subscribe and then hit review and then you'll be good for the next episodes because then you'll be notified. Anyways, have a great week and see you next week, guys. Later.